Now in Acts chapter one, and the title of this is waiting on the promise of the father. This is a phrase that Jesus uses, and we're going to try to understand it this morning and apply it to right now. So Acts chapter one and verse four, we're going to pick up. Jesus has been alive from the grave for 40 days at this point since his resurrection. He and his few disciples have spent much of that time up in, Gal in, 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 in Galilee, about to say Galway, <laughs> in Galilee, amen. <clears throat> I think Galway is pretty cool, amen. We were up there a couple of days ago, went on Salt Hill and beautiful, beautiful. But Galilee, anyway, <clears throat> that's their hometowns. That's where they grew up. That's, that's, that's home to them. But now they've gathered together at the Mount of Olives, just outside of Jerusalem. And uh, this was one of Jesus's favorite places. It was a, a place that because of the trees and the olive trees and everything, it was cool in the evenings. It was a place that he loved to pray and spend quiet times with the disciples there. But things were about to change because Jesus was leaving. Now, can you imagine? I mean, they'd already experienced the trauma of him dying, but now that he's alive, he's now saying, I'm going away. And that blows their mind. He's about to head home to heaven. What a thought. That's where he came from. It's not that he's earned heaven. He came from heaven. His job was finished here. I wish you would get that. Everything you needed to do, every little thing that we can imagine that needed to be done for our redemption was accomplished by him and him alone. Didn't need his mother's help. He didn't need Peter's help. Didn't need the church's help. Him alone dying for the sins of the whole world. And he's saying, job finished. I'm going home now. Clocking out is to say. And he spent these last 40 days preparing the disciples to stand on their own. He says, guys, I've taught you everything I know in three and a half years. It's time for you to stand on your own and get going. But just before he leaves, he gives two final commands. Let's notice them here in these verses. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. <clears throat> I'd like you to circle these two commands. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. I want you to stay right here. But first command, what's the word? Four-letter word. Wait. But wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. You heard me tell you all about it. Verse 5. John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? He said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And here's the second command. Ye shall be what? Witnesses. Wait and then be witnesses unto me, about me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. So the two commands he gives are wait. And what was the second one? Witness. We're going to talk about that this morning. Let's pray. Father, again, we come before you asking for your help for us, our minds and our hearts, just to be hungry. <clears throat> there are lots of distractions, a lot of things that need our attention. But right now, please help us to focus on what we need to hear today from your word and encourage us. But more of all, equip us and enable us, God, to do your will. And Lord, I pray that you'd work in every heart. It's not an accident. Anybody's here this morning. May they hear your words loud and clear. May they hear your call that you want them, that you love them, that you can save them, and you can save their home. 
Lord, you can, Lord, you can do the impossible. What we try and fail at, it's easy for you. So I pray we would look to you and trust you, God. And I pray that you teach us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So <clears throat> uh, that first word there in verse 4 that we're going to look at, being assembled together with them, he commanded them. Notice, waiting is a command. He commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait. Now, uh, don't, he's basically saying don't do anything <clears throat> until you experience the promise of the Father in you. It's coming. Jesus says, I'm not telling you when, but I want you to just be ready. It sounds like the rapture to me, amen? Wait. And now, that doesn't mean you just sit and you twiddle your thumbs. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But be expectant. Now, you know that waiting is hard. <clears throat> there is no fun uh, uh, waiting, right? Waiting is hard. It's like waiting for the right marriage partner to come along. I mean, you just say, where is she? Where is this guy? Or you're waiting for your health to return after you've been ill. You're like, when am I? I remember when we had, Nita and I had COVID. I mean, it took three weeks for us to get our strength back. And you're like, man, when is this? It just drags on and on. Waiting is hard. <laughs> It's hard waiting for your employer to notice you and to give you a raise. You say, have you noticed, you know? It's hard for waiting for God to change someone in your life and to make them better for you, nicer to you. It's hard waiting. People don't wait well. And, and our smartphones have actually make it, made it awful. Nobody waits anymore. As soon as you have to stand somewhere, and, and yes, you're waiting for something else to happen, but I don't think we know how to wait anymore. I don't think we know how to just sit and not freak out. Like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? When you learn to wait, you learn to let God have his time because his time is his business. He doesn't, he's not, he's not put out by your panic. But I know this, if you don't learn to wait, you can mess up the rest of your life you can choose the right partner. You can choose the wrong partner for the rest of your life. You can make a decision that will affect you and your kids. If you, if you cannot learn this truth of waiting, you can ruin your life. Now, waiting in the Lord is a big part of the Christian life. Hold your place here. And uh, uh, well, actually, you can leave it for a moment. we got two verses. Look at Psalm 27, middle of your Bible, the book of Psalms, verse 27. It is an act of faith to trust that God knows what he's doing. And that God will do things in his time. He makes everything beautiful. What are the last three words? In his time. When you learn to wait, you're actually believing God instead of your feelings, your impulses, your panics, or even your abilities. You say, oh, I can, I can handle this. Well, are you sure? <clears throat> Waiting is when you learn to depend upon the Lord to help you do what he asks. Psalm 27, 14 says this, wait on the Lord, be of good courage. Don't, don't lose hope. And he shall strengthen thine heart. The word shall means just give it a little time and God will pick you up. Wait, I say, on the Lord. That's a natural thing Christians should be doing is saying, I'm waiting on God. I, I know this needs to happen. I've, 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 I've uh, done all that I can, but at this point I'm stepping back and I'm saying, God, you take care of it. Uh, waiting is actually proof that you want something bad enough and you're willing to wait for it. Um, 
whatever God's timing is. Um, you know, the world has been busy making, I, I, I the, the, the culture of our day has been such that we make uh, waiting into, into a, a problem. Why wait when you can just find your girl and you start living together, you can just get on with life and you don't know how to wait. I understand the, the, the pressure on this world is I've got to have fun now. I've got to have gratification. I've got to have um, I got what I got to have what I want or else I'm not happy. Well, our culture has ruined the ability to just wait because I found that the devil robs people of what God has for them by getting them to act on impulse and they can't wait. You know, um, so many people try and start their Christian life so smart, so competent. Oh, I already know how to pray. Do you? You know, when I got saved, now I was, I was raised in basically an atheist home, all right? I mean, we never talked about God. And um, so when I came to church and somebody asked me to pray, I panicked because honestly, I mean, I don't know how to talk like they talk. I don't know how many times do you say thee and thou? I don't know how to do all this stuff. But there are the others who come and say, I already know how to pray. I, I, I know how to, 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 you know, to act like a Christian. And let me tell you, the best thing to do when you get saved is to learn to wait and to sit and say, I'm going to watch and I'm going to learn before I leap. Because a lot of people burn out because they leap and they, they try to get into all the things. Pastor, I want to join the choir. Pastor, I want to do this. And that's good. That's a good thing to have is that desire. But it is wrong when you haven't learned to wait and to grow. Now, don't, don't sit there and decide, well, I'll wait for 10 years. That's kind of, that, that's an imbalance there. Proverbs 18.1, you're in Psalms, go to Proverbs 18.1. Proverbs 18.1 says, through what? All right, now I want you to hold on to that word, through desire. Something you don't have yet, but through desire, a man having separated himself, which means you walk away from the guys who are just wanting to go drinking on, on such and such a night, or you walk away from the friends that are, that are into all kinds of mess and they're wasting time and you separate yourself from Netflix and you sit, and you sit down and you put your, put your, put your time into your, your studies or you put your time into what you desire. It says, once you separate yourself, you, you're seeking and intermeddling with all wisdom. You're going to find great truth. You're going to find, and, and the, the Christian has to desire that, Lord, I know everybody else is doing X, Y, and Z. But I'm going to just wait on God. I'm going to separate. Let them go their own way. Okay, they're all going out tonight. I'm going to stay home. I haven't read my Bible all week, so I'm going to catch up. I'm going to catch up with 10 chapters tonight. When you separate yourself from all the other things going on and you, you search for God and you search for wisdom, you find it. That's learning to wait. So guess what we find in Acts chapter 2? We find the apostles sitting there in an upper room with about 120 other people gathered together, staying together, praying together, and waiting together. Jesus said, wait, and they do it. That's a good thing. So back in Acts chapter 1, <clears throat> by the way, if you notice, it says there in verse 4, it says, and being assembled together with them. As John just prayed, 
where two or three are gathered together, what does it say? Lo, I'm with you. So when we gather together, guess who shows up with us? Not physically, not appearing here, but Jesus promises to be with us. They're assembled and they're used to it. One of the things that comes across my mind is when are some Christians going to get used to gathering together on a Sunday? Because that's what this is. I got here this morning, got here about uh, 9.30, turn on the heat and everything. And I look out the window, and I go, who's going to show up today? Who's going to come? Who's going to wake up and go, this is not like any other day. This belongs to God. This is the Lord's day. I need to be at church. That's what we do. It's our pattern. It's what Sunday is all about. The disciples for three and a half years assembled with Jesus. It was no inconvenience for them. They loved being together. They loved assembling with other believers. People who were imperfect just as they are. Our, our theme verse for the whole year is Acts 5.42 that says, and daily, daily. We wouldn't have church every day. They did. Daily in the temple and in every house. They couldn't shut up. They couldn't stop talking about Jesus Christ. They spent, I find that these disciples spent more time together as a church than they did with their own families. Not that you can't Take care of your family. You don't take care of your family. You got to spend time with your family. But a true Christian knows the importance of assembling together. They know it's church time. Let's go. I believe assembling together with other people that, that, that are real, not on show. But when we assemble together, God has a special thing that happens. There are other churches where you just come in and you go out. You come in, you go out, and there's nothing happening. But when you go to a Bible preaching church and you deal with real people who are struggling just like you and they're real and they fellowship and they talk about real things, not just COVID. <laughs> but we talk about things and we share our hearts and we trust in the Lord. It mends us. It builds us. It encourages us. It repairs us. <clears throat> you know, Peter said, everybody's leaving. Jesus said, are you going to go away as well? And Peter says, no, you have the words. Of eternal. They came for the works. They came for the miracles. They came for the free food. But Jesus, we loved hearing from you. And that's what church is. We haven't all gathered around, so we have a drum set up here, and we have disco lights, and we have entertainment. No, we have the preaching of the word of God, because I believe this book can still help people. It can still mend homes. It can still fix broken hearts and broken minds. So here they are. What are they waiting for? They're assembled together, but what are they waiting for? Look in verse 4 again. Let's just keep going and read again. Verse 4, being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, God the Father, which say, which saith he, ye have heard of me. Do you understand what that is? Well, you probably say, I have no idea. Well, you're in good company because neither the disciples. Okay? They're a little bit confused about it. Disciples didn't know what it was because they didn't pay attention. Jesus says, I told you all about it. You didn't pick it up. The promise of the Father to them was not something they really wanted to pay attention to. They had Jesus. Why do I need anything else to them? They thought Jesus was the be-all and the end-all, and in many ways, he is the be-all and the end-all, isn't he? But in some ways, with Jesus leaving, we can now do greater works. Jesus said that. 
And that's kind of mind-boggling because if you think about it, everything that had happened in front of the disciples as they stood there and they watched the dead raised, they watched people, 5,000 fed with just five little baguettes and two sardines. It, it just was, you know, Jesus did the unbelievable. Yet Jesus said, you know, what's, what, what you saw there is not the end. Jesus actually said something marvelous was about to happen. Something that God had promised himself, something that Jesus had told them about and explained, and something that only believers could appreciate and experience. He promised, he said, this is for you. And he calls it the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now we know the Son of God came. We know the promise of the coming of the Messiah, the Word became flesh, we just celebrated Christmas and all that. But here, Jesus is going to say, I'm leaving. And the Holy Spirit is going to come and take my place. Let's go to John 14. You can leave Acts again, but go to John chapter 14, just a few pages back. In John chapter 14, verse 16. <clears throat> And these are Jesus' own words. And this is before. This is weeks before. And Jesus said, I told you all about this. Well, let's see what he said. John 14, verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another what? That's a wonderful word. And he shall give you another comforter, that he may, be, may abide with you forever. Every time they had trouble, did the disciples have any need to panic? Did they, did they need to run around going, we're all going to die? No, every time with Jesus there, he seemed to be a rock. He seemed to be able to handle anything. So he always brought them comfort. He says, all right, so I'm leaving, but I'll give you another comforter. Verse, uh, and I love how he says that he may abide with you forever. You ought to underline those words. We'll look at them in a second. Verse 17, even, and he calls him the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. They'll never figure it out because it seeth him not. Everybody wants to believe only in what they see. Well, they won't get the Holy Spirit then. Neither knoweth him, but ye know him. This is not just a power. This is a person, the third person of the Trinity, but ye know him for he, dwell, he dwelleth with you right now. And he promises, what does Jesus promise? He shall be in you. Do you notice the promise there? Jesus said, I'm gonna pray. And the Father's going to send another comforter, and he will be with you forever. Go to John 17. I'm sorry, John 7. Sorry, John chapter 7 and verse 37. John 7, 37. <clears throat> Jesus is surrounded by nearly 100,000 people moving through the city streets of Jerusalem, and they're all going around shopping and and going to the temple and visiting family. It's coming up to the Passover. And what does Jesus say? The last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. That's what he said. And people would just pass by, what, what, what? And they'd walk on. And then John adds here in verse 39 he says but this spake jesus of the who of the holy spirit which they that believe on him should 
and they will receive for the holy ghost was not yet given because that jesus was not yet glorified not yet received up to heaven so the coming of the holy spirit let me go back to that and talk to you about that word comforter to comfort means to encourage somebody come alongside and you're just defeated you just feel like you just want to quit and somebody comes along put their arm around you and says don't quit you're a you're a blessing you're I, I'm, I'm here with you. I'll help you. That's, that's a great friend. Comforter. The comforter, when you just, you just say, well, I, I can't even get up. And the comforter picks you up. How far does the Holy Spirit work? He carries us. When we're just out of energy, when we're burned out, when we're, we're worn out, and the Holy Spirit just carries us from day to day, and we, we just can't even breathe. And the Holy Spirit's there saying, keep going, keep going. And he strengthens us. Yet he's ignored. What I'm describing to you, I'm going to give you an illustration. Let's see if you pick it up. Say a family member stops by your house. It's dinner time, and he's been invited. The people in the home barely notice him as he walks through the house. He finds a corner. He sits on the chair and is quiet, very quiet. He's just watching everything going on in that busy house. The children are racing around the house. The mother is busy cooking and fellowshipping with everyone else in the kitchen. The men are talking politics and the economy and sports and COVID. And the family member quietly whispers something, but nobody hears him. The mother discovers she has burned the chicken and the potatoes. The men start arguing about different opinions and the children start fighting each other over some game they were playing. And the family member stands to try and help. And in a moment, everyone turns and glares at him that he not get involved. So he sits down again and he quietly waits. Do you know who I'm talking about? That's the Holy Spirit in your life. That's how he is. He sits there and he's waiting for an opportunity to say something. We go, don't say a word. <laughs> I don't want to be under conviction. I don't want you to make me feel guilty. I don't want you to urge me to do anything other than what I'm already doing. I've got a bad attitude and I want to keep it. <laughs> do you know what's amazing about the Holy Spirit? He's prophesied throughout the Old Testament. One of the things we're going to get into in Acts chapter 2 is how filled the Old Testament is filled with all the New Testament truths that were coming true right in their day and still today in Joel 2, Proverbs chapter 1, and six different chapters in the book of Isaiah. He's coming, go back to Acts chapter 1. The Holy Spirit's coming was pictured by water baptism. Oh, let's wake up and let's smell the coffee, folks. Acts chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus tags it on. He says, you've heard the promise of the Father. He says, verse 8, I'm sorry, verse 5, but for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with something much better than liquid much better than H2O, you'll be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. It'll just be a few days. Just hold on. So when you think of baptism, please, the word baptism does not mean sprinkle, uh, pour. doesn't mean dip. It means immerse, completely put under something. And John was completely immersing people who were repenting and wanted to be ready for the Messiah. And there he was, and Jesus said, John was only giving you a picture of what was to come. 
It was an external picture of what God wanted to do in the heart of anyone who would just repent and believe on Jesus. John chapter 1. I said go back to Acts, but we've got to go back and forth a little bit here. Uh, John chapter 1 in verse 32. <clears throat> John himself said this, and John bear record. John 1, 32, saying, I saw the Spirit, there we are, descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon Jesus. And I knew him not. That's not the same guy I knew, because they were cousins. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom ye shall see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizes with something much better, with the Holy Ghost. So anyone who claims that a person needs to be baptized to be forgiven, to be saved, to be washed from their sins, is denying the power of the blood of Christ to save. And secondly, they're denying the work of the Holy Spirit to completely cover that person with his power so that it, it's just with, just like water. When they got immersed, I don't have a little bit of God. I have all of him that I need to get me all the way to heaven. I've had people say, uh, Brother Craig, you need to speak in tongues. That'll be, that'll be your next level. I don't need to speak in tongues. I need to use the one I got right. That's the one I worry about. Oh, you need to go through this. You need to go through that seminar. I got everything I needed when I got Jesus Christ. If I never got baptized with water, I'm still going to heaven. Amen. If I never read one more verse of scripture, I'm still going to heaven because of Jesus Christ. You understand what I'm saying? I believed it. That settles it. Say, well, you're not a very good Christian. I don't have to be. Hallelujah. I'm saved. That's the thing. Should I get baptized? You better believe it. Should I read my Bible? Should I join church? Should I give to missions? Should I be a tither? All of that is good. But if I did none of that and I was a dirty, rotten, stinking scoundrel for the rest of my life, I'm going to heaven. Amen. Because of Jesus, not because of my goodness. So baptism is not the key. Jesus said, John, baptize water. But wait till you get baptized with the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, Look in verse 6. Jesus says, back to Acts chapter 1, verse 6, the coming of the Holy Spirit of God was more important than the promise of the future kingdom to Israel. Look in Acts 1. Now, when he says, ah, the promise of the Father, he doesn't actually say what it is yet. And they go, oh, hopefully he's talking about the kingdom. He's hoping he's talking about the millennial kingdom and Jesus being king and the lamb laying down with the lion and, and everything going back to paradise. Look what he says in verse six. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? Are you talking about we're all gonna be in the kingdom again? Verse seven, and Jesus said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the father has put in his own power. So the times and the seasons of future prophecies are still up in God's hands, but ye shall receive what? All right, you don't, you're not going to receive a kingdom yet, but you're going to receive something more important. So the disciples were mixed up about what promise Jesus was talking to. They hoped for the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. And you read the Old Testament, you see Israel had great days and they had bad days, but they wanted their kingdom back. And Jesus pushes that desire and says, put it back, guys. 
Something more important than the millennial kingdom was coming. It's more important than anything else in your and my life. Whatever we may be needing, you say, well, I need a miracle. Yeah, well, let's talk about getting the, the Holy Spirit all over you. That's what we're going to talk about. Now, what would the Holy Spirit do when he came? Go to John 14. Leave Acts for a minute. John chapter 14 and verse 16. We read this just a few minutes ago, but John 14, 16, I want you to see something. And I will pray the Father, Jesus says, 14, 16. He shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. For he dwelleth with you. He's already been working with you and ye shall be in you. What's the first thing he's going to do? He's going to indwell believers. Uh, when I got married, somebody moved in my life. Her name was Nita. And it's it's the joy of being married. Somebody Somebody's there and till death to his part. It's a joy being married. But it's not as good as the Holy Spirit coming and actually living in me. I don't understand why God would want to be that close to me. Amen? There's nobody on this planet that would want to be close that close to me. And I wouldn't want to be that close to you, knowing your thoughts, knowing what you look at knowing what, where you've been and what you're going to do. And yet the Holy Spirit says, I want to be in you. He comforts. We read that. Greatest, he's the greatest encourager or helper in the universe. You say, I sure wish I had a friend. You do have a friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. But you see, Jesus in heaven does me no good when he says, I'm actually in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. You've got a friend. He's as good a comfort in you as if he was there right beside you. That's the Holy Spirit of God. It's too bad too many Christians have no idea how to be comforted by the Holy Spirit. They really have no idea. I don't even know how to be comforted because you don't know how to shut up and just wait. Third thing he does go to Ephesians. He seals believers. Ephesians 4 and verse 30. When the Holy Spirit comes into a believer, you know what he does? He seals himself in. I have a package and I want to ship it to somebody. I've got a, something I want to send to somebody, maybe over to America or up to Galway or whatever. I seal it with packing tape, right? Okay. Why do I do that? So it doesn't fall out. So the thing that's inside doesn't get lost. It has an address on it. Hopefully, the post will make sure it gets there without being crushed. But what the Holy Spirit does, according to Ephesians chapter, look in verse 4, chapter 4 and verse 30. The Holy Spirit seals every believer until we get all the way home to heaven. 430 says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are right now sealed until the day of redemption. It's like <clears throat> that day of redemption is when God picks you up. Whether in the casket or whether in the rapture, when God picks you up, that's the day of redemption and you cannot be lost. Go to chapter 1, verse 13. Ephesians 1, 13. Look at the, pro the progression here. In whom also ye trusted, in Jesus you trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom after ye believe, so you heard, 
you trusted, you believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest. Now that's an old word. Whenever you used to buy a house, you would, you would uh, well, let me just say we still do it, but um, uh, in the old days, they called it an earnest payment. It meant you really wanted to buy the house. You were earnest. So if you wanted to buy, let's say the house was worth 100,000 euros. Boy, don't we wish they were worth only 100,000 anymore. You would go and you'd bring 10,000. That was called earnest money. It proved you wanted to buy the house. And you're willing to start to make the payments on the mortgage. Well, guess what God invested in me to prove that he wanted me? His Holy Spirit. That's the earnest payment he gave me. I have no idea what heaven's going to be like. I just know I have his payment in me so that I know he wants me. He is, uh, verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance. It's just the beginning of it. Until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Folks, we are, we are sealed until we get home. Guess what? You cannot lose your salvation. You say, well, man, I've, I've blown it. Uh, well, what if you sin a really bad sin? You see, you still got that Catholic idea of mortal sins and venial sins. There are sins you can get away with and sins you can't get away with. Let me tell you, all sin is sin. And in the end of the day, if you tally up all of your sins, even after you got saved, if you can lose your salvation, you've already lost it. The only reason why you haven't lost is because Jesus Christ said, the Holy Spirit's going to seal himself inside you and get you all the way to heaven, kicking and screaming, amen? <laughs> and he teaches us. Go to John 16. John 16. If you are understanding anything I'm teaching this morning, it's not because I'm a great teacher. Because there's a little voice inside of you saying, he's right. He's right. Nod your head. Say Amen. <laughs> He's right. Now, now think about that. That's right. Go over this thought. Now, connect that with this truth. And he's a teacher. John 16 and verse 13. Look at verse 12. Jesus says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. It's too much all at once. Verse 13. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into how much truth? He'll explain everything to you. He'll guide you into all truth. He shall not speak of himself. I know a bunch of churches where all they talk about is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. You know what? The Holy Spirit doesn't talk about himself. He'll not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear from the Father, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He'll teach you. He'll open your eyes. Page by page, as you go through the scriptures, you say, I don't get it. Open your eyes and just start. You'll get something because the Holy Spirit's not a liar. He will teach you. Let me move on. I wish I could spend a week on these things. He promotes Jesus. Just read there, he doesn't promote himself. He doesn't promote us. A lot of people, they go to church for one reason, to be noticed. I'm glad we don't wear hats in church, amen? Because there are churches where the ladies wear the hats like they're at the races, amen? <laughs> what are they wearing the hats for? Guys, come in. I mean, and this, you know, I've got a new car outside. How many can want to see my car? You know, that's not the kind of church you want to be in. Amen. You know where you want to be in a church where Jesus is all that we're here for. I want to be a blessing to you, but I came to meet Jesus. Amen. 
I want to find out how your week was, but I want to find out what I need to be doing to be more like him. He promotes, the Holy Spirit will promote Jesus Christ. How you know you're spirit-filled is if you talk about Jesus. How I know we're word-filled is we talk about COVID. Ouch. It's very hard not to talk about COVID, isn't it? Would, if we talked about Jesus Christ and this book and the coming wrath of God and salvation, if we talked about the Holy Spirit of God, if we talked about what it's like to live the Christian life with joy and with rest and with peace, as much as we talk about COVID, the world would have been one last year. Another thing he does is, without going through all of it, he convicts us of sin. So I love the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you don't. The only reason why you love the Holy Spirit because you don't listen to him. Because he'll come along and just says, shut up. He'll come alongside and it says, turn that off. See, the Holy Spirit, when he works, he works to get you right. And we don't want to be told we're wrong. One of the works of the Holy Spirit, one of the most important works is he gives us guilt. You say, that's terrible. No, it's good. God, he doesn't want you to stay guilty. Hallelujah. He wants you to get guilty and then get forgiven. Amen. Because one of the best things that ever happens to us is to know I'm wrong and I don't want to stay this way. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And he empowers us. Ye shall receive power. Oh, that we yearn to be filled with the Spirit of God instead of the Spirit of this world. The Holy Spirit is in every believer. If you're saved, the Holy Spirit is in you. But he's rarely all over you. You know, you may, you may be married, but I wonder if it shows. You may, you know, go to church, but does it, does it do something where you go out and people say, where have you been? I've been in the presence of Jesus Christ. I've been hearing the words of eternal life. I let somebody make me feel uncomfortable and the Holy Spirit got all over me and I hope I'm glowing. I hope I'm glowing. Judges chapter 15, we don't have to go there, but there's a guy named Samson. How many remember Samson? He looked kind of like this. You got the idea. Anyway, Samson, six foot six, brawny, four foot four, side to side. No. I don't know how tall he was. I don't know how brawny he was. But Samson, when he met an enemy or he was surrounded by an army of a thousand men who were trying to kill him. The Bible says, and the Holy Spirit of God came upon him and he picked up a jawbone of a donkey. And he killed them all and defeated the enemies of Israel. Was it because Samson was some, some man? No, it's because of the Spirit of God. And if the Spirit of God did that in David's life, even in King Saul's life, if he did it in Samson's life, and in dozens and dozens of others as examples, he wants to do it in us. Not that you go out and kill a thousand people. But though the Holy Spirit of God on you enables you to do what you couldn't do otherwise. That's the power. He empowers us to do the will of God. You say, I can't do it. Yes, I can do what? All things through Christ, he strengthened. How does he strengthen me? The Holy Spirit, you shall receive power. No matter what God asks you to go through, you can do it if you learn to lean upon the Holy Spirit of God. Learn to draw your strength from the power of the person of the Holy Spirit of God who's right there in your heart right now, waiting to be needed. Thankfully, he stays with us. John 14, 16, one more time, I want you to look at this verse, 14, 16. 
And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may. What does abide mean? I mean, abide is a, 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 a term that's about, I mean, you wouldn't want your uncle to abide forever. <laughs> to go home. But he wants to abide for how long? Forever in us. He stays with us. And that's not a complete list, but you get the idea, okay? Second command, back to Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and on Samaria, and on the uttermost parts of the earth. Witness is a simple word. It means to tell what you know. If you see a car accident and somebody in the guard come over and says, uh, tell me what you saw. You're a witness. That's what it is. You're not saying, I know what he was thinking when he drove into her. <laughs> You're not telling what you don't know. You just say, I saw him come out of the parking lot, make a left, didn't look, and he ran right into her. That's what I saw. That's a witness. Describe what you know. Here, it's saying something that proves that what God says is true. You're backing up God's testimony. I can tell you that book puts minds back together because it did mine. That book keeps families together. That book saves nations. And I'm, I can testify that I've seen people small. I wish, I wish more people just heard this book preached because I know it works. You know what your life is? If you're, if you're saved, your life is a, is a testimony that proves that God's will is best. You, if you're saved, you ought to be able to say, I know, now I don't always live it, but I know that what God says do is right. I am a witness that his will is best. That's a witness. And that waiting on God's time is best. We're all commanded to be witnesses. Did you notice that? What's that little two-letter word? The second word is ye. You know what ye is? It's not singular. It's y'all. He's looking to that point. There's about 500 people there on the day he's ascending up. Yes, the disciples there, but there are 500 people gathered on the day he ascends, according to 1 Corinthians 13, uh, chapter 15. And those 500 people, here Jesus says, you're all going to be witnesses. I need you all to open your mouth and say something that proves I'm alive to witness, to testify, to say something, to do something, to show people that God is there. You know what people believe? That he's dead. That he's irrelevant. Hmm. You know, um, if someone just, if someone in your, at your work actually heard you say, my Savior's alive, the, the, the God I worship, Loved me and gave himself for me. And he loves you. He died for you. You, you say, oh, I'll probably be fired. Probably not. But I tell you this, it would change their life. If you'd be a witness, if you'd open up and say something that testifies that he's true. You know what everybody needs to hear? I know we're in a pandemic. I kind of, I'm not sure we are still. But anyway, the pandemic is, is, Worldwide, let me tell you what's worse than the pandemic we've gone through the last two years, sin. You know what the morbidity of sin is? 
the wages of your sin is, all right, you get COVID, what are the odds of you dying? Not very high. I know people who've died. I know it's a killer. Let me tell you this. But 98% of the people keep going on. When sin touches somebody, it kills everyone. We're commanded to warn and to tell that sin is killing us and that now is the time to repent. By the way, it says we're to witness to the whole world. <clears throat> that means it starts with your family. Make sure your kids are saved. Make sure your family is saved. Make sure that, that the people that, that you are around, that you tell, I want you in heaven. I don't care if you could hate me for the rest of your life. I'd rather you hate me and you love Jesus. You know, the people you meet every day, they know you're weird. <laughs> Tell them why. And then go a little further and go out into County Cork and hand out a gospel track. You say, well, I was out and, and um, uh, had to go get something from a farmer out in, uh, um, uh, I don't know, Clonakilty. Make sure you got a gospel track and you say, oh, by the way, I know you'll probably never get out to Balancholic, but I'd like to see you in heaven. That's being a witness into all the world. Every creature, every culture, every language needs the gospel. There's no one we shouldn't tell about Jesus. I've had people, when I try to give them the gospel, say, I'm saved. I, I give them a hug. Amen. Do you know, if you ever, if you didn't know me and you met me and you had me a gospel track, I will thank you. I'm already saved but I'll be grateful that you cared for my soul. Amen. There's nobody you shouldn't tell they need Jesus. Here's a conclusion. What are, Christ, what are Christ's last two words, commandments? What were the last two commandments? Wait and witness. No matter what you may be doing, make it part of your daily life. Carry gospel tracts. Say something. Find no problem talking about COVID. Let me ask you a question or a couple of questions. Have you ever told anyone they needed to get born again? Do you ever have the courage? Have you ever done that? Jesus did. Sat down with a very religious man and says, buddy, you need to get born again. <laughs> you ever handed someone a gospel leaflet and asked them to read it? Could you even explain how to get saved to someone? Could you tell them how to get saved? You ever tried? You ever decided, you know what? I, I, I have no idea what it's like trying to get the gospel out over in the Middle East. So I know that I'm supposed to go into all the world, and I can't go, so I'm going to help Brother Figali. I'm going to give to missions so Brother Figali can keep starting churches, preaching the gospel, starting radio stations, preaching the gospel all over the Middle East. You ever done that? You ever helped out with missions? We're supposed to. If we would just want the Holy Spirit more than we want our kingdoms, what were the disciples wanting? Oh, bring us a kingdom. And Jesus said, nope, let's put that back out of the way. Whatever you think you need, what you're going to get, what's coming soon, and what the Holy Spirit needs to be in your life is more important. If we would just want, if we would wait for his empowerment. You know what? Every morning you need to get up and say, Lord, I don't know what's coming up ahead today, but I need you. And I need you a lot. I need a baptism this morning that gets me through this day. I know the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a little more technical than that. But don't get off. Just understand. We need a baptism of the Holy Ghost like we've never had. If we would, uh, boy, you, you 
you, far, you face into something, you say, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Pray and say, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit so I don't freak out. <laughs> and if we would just go and speak up when God says, go. You know how many people I've been around, the Holy Spirit said, hand them a track. I'm not listening. <laughs> Boy, if we would just do that, you know what would happen? That's when this generation of Christians would have revival. That's when, if we actually were yielded to the Holy Spirit of God and we wanted what Christ was giving the apostles here and the disciples there in chapter two, we see what happens in chapter two. I'd like to see it again. Now, there's some things that are particular to chapter two, but there's some things that go on and I want them all. And that's when the world would hear the gospel again in our lifetime. I have to ask you this. Have you heard the gospel? You know, the gospel is very simple. You're a mess and he saves sinners. Jesus took your place on the cross, took my place, died to pay off every sin. He paid the penalty for every one of your sins and he rose again three days later in victory over death. Every hero, every hero ends at death except Jesus Christ. He got out of the grave. You have nothing to fear of death even more. And what he now waits for is for you to accept him and to trust him enough to save your soul. 42 years ago, coming up this June, he saved mine. Never got over it. Never got over it. I still, it's like the day I got married. I, I, I don't remember the day I got born, but I know the day I got born again. And if you'd like, today could be the day as well for you. Stand with me and let's bow ourselves heads in prayer. I wonder, Father, if a lot of us are discouraged because we've tried to witness. We've tried to live the Christian life. We've tried to follow, try to read our Bible, but we've done it without your power. We've done it in our own strength, and we've burned out. We've worn out, and we never learned to wait on you. It doesn't mean wait for years. It does mean I learned to wait at your feet. That when I open my Bible, I say, speak and help me, God. I'm not going to rush off. I'm going to sit here until you strengthen me. Lord, the first thing to do in the morning, you, you tell us, is to seek your face, to get close to you, to know your presence, to get your help. You're a very present help in time of trouble, but we need, we need to need you. Lord, it ought not to be the last thing we do. It'll be the first thing where we wait upon you to enable us to do whatever you ask us to do this week. And it may be to go through the, sh the shadow of death. It may be the valley of the shadow of death. It may be to see some great victory. It may be something easier or hard. I don't know, but I just know one constant is you. And so I need you. I need the Holy Spirit to have all of me. So Lord, I just commit this message to these years and these years, and I pray that you would make it all bear fruit in Jesus' name. Amen.